You are listening to the Keep Writing Podcast, a resource for Christian women who are ready to write their first book, and then more, so they can guide their readers into spiritual freedom while guiding their own families into financial freedom. There has never been a better time to answer your call from God by partnering with the Holy Spirit to write, publish, and market books that advance the kingdom and transform people in Jesus' name. I'm Nika Maples, and I provide the solution to help upcoming Christian authors just like you, giving you practical actions that you can take today. Now let's jump into episode 93, Create a Monthly Belief Plan. My clients learn three tools that help them reach their goals. Amazing results never happen because of the amount of skill that a person has. They always happen when a person has learned how to take authority over their soul. An unmastered soul is like a toddler running around with scissors. It's dangerous. It's quite trendy these days to think of it in terms of your mindset. You'll hear people talking about mindset all the time, but how does that play out in the life of a Christian? And is it even a concept that's biblically aligned? I say, yes, it is. And here's an easy explanation for you. You and I are made up of three distinct parts, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is a part of you that communes with God. Your spirit is born needing to be redeemed and brought back to life. And once it has been saved and resurrected by Jesus, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit as a source of power, purpose, and partnership to accomplish everything that God has planned in advance for you to do. Your spirit has the highest authority. It listens to God and obeys him, telling your soul and your body what to do. It keeps you in alignment with God's will while you're here on this earth. Your spirit is a part of you that will live eternally, either in God's presence or otherwise. Your spirit is unique to you as a human being. As far as I understand it, animals do not have spirits. And they can't be resurrected and redeemed by the blood of Jesus to become heirs with Christ. Your soul, on the other hand, is your mind, will, and emotions. It's your personality. Your soul is the things you think, the things you want and determined to do, and the way you feel. Your soul is the part of you that the Bible calls your flesh. We'll get to more of that in a minute. Your soul will not last forever. The things that motivate your soul right now will not even be applicable at the end of the age because your spirit will be fully satisfied when you see Jesus face to face and you won't need the things that you think you need now. Even things like rest and recreation will no longer be necessary. And as I said before, animals do have a soul. They have a mind, will, and emotions. You can see their personalities, but they don't have that spirit that has authority over their souls the way the humans do. They can't master their thoughts, desires, and feelings. 
The idea of the soul is why the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's why it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. It's why Paul writes of his internal struggle in Romans 7, 14 through 25. He writes, the trouble is with me for I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself or I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. And I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power that is within me at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Okay, so maybe his struggle sounds familiar. That is the struggle of soul and spirit. When he says, I know what I want to do and I want to follow God's law and righteousness, but within me, there's this other power at work that makes me want to do other things. You get it when you read it, don't you? You get that maybe your soul wants to do other things that you know are not best for you. It's not what God calls you to, but your spirit really wants to obey. That's where that internal struggle comes, finding that balance between, I know what I want to do in my flesh, and yet the better choice is always going to be to do the thing that pleases God, even though it doesn't feel comfortable or satisfying or good at the moment, I will submit my soul to my spirit and choose the best choice, the righteous choice, the obedience instead. And so I'll explain more about that in a moment. Please keep listening. But first, I want to quickly explain that the third part of our being is our body. And that one is pretty self-explanatory. Even so, it helps to know that the body is supposed to be mastered by the spirit. and It's not permitted to run around like the king of everything. No way. Our bodies like to think that they're in charge, but they're not. Perhaps that's one reason Jesus encourages fasting, just kind of to let our bodies know by way of a bit of discomfort that they are subject to the spirit that animates them. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 10 reads, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. 
Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It is the understanding of this alignment that truly helps you become who you're meant to be. Your spirit can obey God because it believes what he says, even without evidence. Your soul obeys your spirit and your body obeys your spirit. And this is where the fruit of the spirit comes in. It takes great self-control not to operate only on evidence that you can see, but that's what your soul and your body want in order to make a move, any decision or action. They want evidence first. However, your spirit knows to operate in a state of faith. Faith is the fuel of the spirit. Hebrews 11, one says that faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you don't even see. Our spirit must know how to believe without seeing. It doesn't need evidence like your soul and body do. Your spirit just needs faith. So that leads us to the first important tool that I teach my clients they learn to create a belief plan. Let me give you some biblical evidence. This is from Romans chapter eight. Now, I just read to you from Romans chapter seven about the internal struggle that Paul was experiencing between his soul and his spirit that were constantly at war within him. If you stop at Romans seven, it could be a very hopeless outlook on life. But the shining gemstone in the Bible is Romans 8. If I could only have one chapter, I truly believe this is the one I would want to keep with me at all times. Because it is the answer to Romans 7. Romans 7 does not leave us in a pit of despair. We have Romans 8 that pulls us forward to victory. I'll read for you in Romans 8 verses 5 through 13. And please note that when Paul is mentioning our flesh, he's talking about our soul and our body. It's our soul and our body that is at war with our spirit, trying to have its own way. So that'll bring you some clarity about what he's talking about here. He writes, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh can't please God. However, you are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh. It's not to live according to it. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So it's almost like Paul is giving us a lesson on belief plans way back then. He's showing us that we no longer have obligation to live according to the flesh, our soul and our body. But our obligation is to live according to the spirit that produces life. Whether we see evidence that, or even feel like we belong to Christ, we must believe that we do because it's true. And you may be asking, okay, okay, I get all the theology, but how do I practically implement a belief plan? Okay, I got you. For this segment of the podcast, I'm going to give you a chance to eavesdrop into one of my group coaching sessions inside the Keep Writing course, mostly so you can see how great it is to be a member. P.S. Please join us inside. You're meant to be there. We want to see you and get to know you. Let's listen into this teaching right now. Right now, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to, for three minutes, think about, you can journal about. If it were me, I'd be journaling because I just think that's how I, that's how I think is by journaling. So you can, you can jot things down for three minutes. Um, but if not, you can just think and bullet list. I don't care. But I'm going to put three minutes on the clock here for us. And I would like you to think about how you will feel when your book is finished. How will you feel? You could go with, how will I feel when my book is actually, the manuscript is finished? Or you can go with, how will I feel when my book is actually published in somebody's hands? You can go with any version of finished that motivates you, but write for three minutes. How will you feel when your book is finished? Okay. So what put in the chat, what are some emotions that you think you will feel when your book is finished? Joy. What else? And the nudging from God will be over. Yeah, that's true. Excitement, satisfaction, relief, Calm, free, proud, accomplished, awesome. We have accomplished, yeah. For me, when I think about my next book coming up, um, if I if I finish this manuscript, I will feel so excited. Excited is the definite feeling for me. We have also, let's see, nervous, accomplished, afraid, joy, hopeful, celebratory, wondering what's next. Still not over. Glad I was obedient. Mm -hmm. Unfinished feels disobedient. Hanging over my head feeling. Yeah. So having it finished is like that pleasure of knowing it's done. Okay. So here's the thing that most people don't realize. Hopefully by now I've taught you that circumstances do not create our results. That circumstances are completely neutral. So when we think having the book finished will make me feel such and such, I need to let you know that's not true. When your book is finished, you will 
not automatically feel the emotion that you think you're going to feel. You have to create that emotion from a thought. And if you can do it when the book is finished, you can do it right now. In fact, that emotion that you're banking on feeling at the end, that emotion is exactly what you will need in order to create the result. So we think, oh, in order to, I mean, like in order to feel excited, in order to feel accomplished, in order to feel relief, I have to have this circumstance that my book is finished. You know, if we had Paul in the room right now, he would say, "Um, you need to learn the secret. Because when it came to contentment, he had learned the secret. He said, I have learned the secret of being content in what? Any circumstance. I can feel content when I'm rich. I can feel content when I'm poor. I can feel feel content when I'm well-fed. I can feel content when I'm hungry. I can feel content when I'm tired. I can, you, when, I, when I'm rested, he can feel content no matter what. He had learned the secret. And we pass over that verse without asking, what's the secret? Paul, what's the secret? (laughs) Tell me the secret. Okay, I believe the secret is what you believe. Believing is the secret. And he chose contentment. You can choose accomplishment. You can choose hopeful. You can choose excited. You can choose whatever you think you're going to get. At the end of finishing your book, please don't think that it will come from the circumstance of having a finished book. It's going to come from within you and your choice to believe for it. The same way that it came for Paul. That's the secret. So in order to create the result of a finished book, you have to feel that feeling in advance. Well, somebody's going to go, okay, so how, Mika? I have decided that the way that I create Those emotions for myself are through what I call belief plans. We create business plans when we want to start a business, don't we? We create weight loss plans when we want to start getting healthier and lose weight. We create, you know, like debt repayment plans when we want to, I mean, whatever it is, we can create a plan for it. And it's an incremental bit by bit plan that over time yields an outcome. Well, we don't cultivate our belief in that way. We just leave that to happenstance. Like we're just going to accidentally feel the things we intend to feel, though we have to have a plan to feel what we intend to feel. So for me recently, here's an example. I I need systems in my business. You're going to hear me mention this, mention this, mention this, mention this for a while, because it's the number one thing I'm working on in my business. I need systems. That means right now I have no, I had no systems. When somebody has a complaint, a customer service complaint, it comes to me directly and I have to figure it out. There's no list of when somebody has a question about this, this is the order of events that happens. And when somebody has a complaint about this, this is the order of event that happens. When somebody's brand new to the course, here's the or there's no systems for me. And I've been operating like this in putting out fire mode, like as quick as I can, putting out fires. I have been convicted that 
I've been avoiding systems and I need, I need to develop some. The Lord is convicting me. If you want to be a good steward of your business, if you want to be a good steward of what I've given you, you need systems. You need to have a consistent way of interacting in situations. And I'm like, great. What do I do if I don't like systems? <laughs> and how will I feel when the systems are finished? Because I don't, I don't like the idea of creating them. I don't like write, the idea of writing down every step I'm going to take to market my course. I don't like to write down every step I take to how do I post a Facebook post? How do I write an email? I don't like writing all of it down. I feel constricted by that. I told you that one of my highest emotions is freedom. I feel constricted by the idea of systems of like creating a, a step-by-step plan for every single aspect of how my business works. But the Lord's convicting me that this is the next thing I have to work on. So I'm like, all right, here, I got to create a belief plan. Because right now I just cringe at the thought of creating systems for my business. So I have to think, how will I feel when the systems are all done? When I have a documented plan that I could point to somebody. If I ever had an assistant, I could say, hey, oh, when somebody writes with this question, this is what we do. And when somebody writes with this question, this is what we say. And if anybody ever needs this, this is what. And also, if you want to act on me, my behalf on Facebook, here's how you do it. If you want to act on my behalf in my email program, here's how you do it. How will I feel when all of that is documented and I can just give it to an assistant and say, here, help me with my business. You do these things. I am going to feel efficient. Efficient. That's what I'm going to feel like because right now I don't feel efficient. I'm doing it all harem scarum. I'm going to feel efficient when I have systems. So here's the thing. In order to create that result of having the systems documented, I have to feel efficient first. If I think that's going to be the outcome, that I'm going to feel efficient when it's all done, I want to feel efficient first. So I decide I'm going to cultivate efficiency in me. I'm going to cultivate that for 30 days. So I create belief plans in 30-day increments. This is great timing because Wednesday is December 1st. That means for the next 31 days, I implore, I implore you to create a belief plan for the emotion that you think is the most motivating emotion for you, the one that you think you'll feel when your book is finished. Cultivate it in a belief plan for 31 days that will take you all the way to the end of the year. I believe that you will start 2022 with a different frame of mind because you've cultivated a belief plan. So how do we do it? Well, I personally journal twice a day on the idea of efficiency. I mean, in the past, it's one thing to just journal like what happened today or what's the Lord saying to me today? That's all open-ended, but there's not a focus. A belief plan has a focus. It's like, this is what I am intentionally cultivating in my life. I'm cultivating efficiency because I will not be able to even think like somebody who knows how business runs. I won't even be able to think that way unless I'm efficient. So I've been journaling twice a day on efficiency. I set a timer for seven minutes in the morning and I set a timer for seven minutes in the evening and I just journal. Now, you may think to yourself, what does that do? Uh, I'm talking about fully exploring 
that emotion until no one could even bring up that emotion with you without you knowing the ins and outs of it. No one could even mention that emotion to you without you knowing intimately how that emotion works in your life. So when you start thinking about that particular emotion, suddenly the Lord opens up new vistas to explore with you and you and him. So with me and efficiency, I mean, I started asking, I'll, I'll kind of freestyle for a week on one question and ask the Lord, ask me a question about accomplishment. Lord, ask me a question about success. Lord, ask me a question about hopefulness, whatever it is that you think you'll be feeling at the end. Ask him to ask you a question about it every week for 31 days. So here's one question he's asked me before. What does efficiency make available to you? I mean, I could freestyle on that every day, twice a day for a week. Oh my goodness. What does efficiency make available to me that is not available right now? It makes more service available. Efficiency makes more service available to me. I started writing about, okay, so the core belief there is the more systems I have, the more service I can give. That's the bottom line. Because right now, there are a lot of downtimes. There are a lot of um, dips in my getting back with people. And it's because I'm inefficient. So what does efficiency make available to me? More service for people. Better service for people. High touch, high care for, for the people I work with. The way Jesus would be. That's what it makes available to me. Systems make vacations available to me. Because right now I can't take a day off because I no one can do what I what I do. But I could one day have a vacation. My business could still run if I had systems, if I were efficient. So I'm like, systems make vacations available to me. Systems make more rest time on the weekends or, or at night for me. All kinds. I, I could freestyle right on that question. I've also like examined the question, what is it, what is inefficiency costing me? If you look at the opposite emotion for the one that you think you want to feel when your book is finished, what is it costing you not to be excited? What is it costing you not to be excited about your book or obedient? What is it costing you to, to be disobedient or accomplished? What, what is it costing you not to feel accomplished? So you examine those things. And you just do it for 30 days. And you get to where it can be distilled down into little chunks. Like I, like I say, more systems, more service. Or um, I, I even say things like systems are my favorite. I just believe it until it starts being true. That's how powerful our words are. We're, we're made in the image of the creator. And he created with words. If you want to create something in yourself, you should use your words. So I started saying systems are my favorite. I love working on systems. It may only kind of be true, but I'm making it true with my words. By writing it, by reading it aloud, I start noticing efficiency and systems in the word. Have you ever like bought a new pair of tennis shoes or even a new car? 
and you thought, oh, these are so unique. Maybe you don't care about being unique, but I, I have, for some reason, it's a value of mine to be like unique. So then when I go out and I'm like, I thought this car was unique. Everyone has this car and in this color, <laughs> or everyone has this, these shoes and in this color where, you know, you start noticing that those, the, the car, the shoes, whatever, they were always there but you don't notice it until you've trained your mind to notice it by having it in your life. Same with systems. For me, I didn't start noticing them everywhere until I started cultivating that in my life. Then I, so I, if I was watching a movie, I'd be like, oh, look how efficient that is. Look at the systems. I, I can't believe it. And then I have something new to, to journal. When, when I'm sitting in a waiting room, when I'm looking at something, uh, it, the way a business operates, the way an organization or a church operates, I'll notice, oh, wow, what a great system. I wonder how they worked on that. I wonder how they created it. I'd say, oh, I see here, I see a need for a system. I just notice, 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 notice. One thing that I noticed in the Word, um, I had to look it up on my phone because actually I made it my phone screen. It's my phone screen because I'm so interested in this verse. This is from Proverbs 21, 21, 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. I'll read it again. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Well, that speaks to me on a grand scale. I'm like, systems are merely plans. And the plan, if I'm diligent and I create plans, it's going to, the Bible says it will lead to, to profit. If I decide to stay in haste, which is the, the general way that I've been operating to stay in haste, that's the road to poverty. It's just like really quickly fixing things. That's haste. So here's the thing with your belief plan. The same thing is true. If you make plans to believe the things you need to believe, as Paul did, the secret to being content, you will, it will lead to profit for you. But continuing to operate in haste, like, let me just sit down and try to do this. Without cultivating the belief you need to support you in carrying out the actions will lead to poverty. I'm serious when I say you need belief to support you in carrying out the actions. Everyone comes to me wanting to know how. I, I, I cannot tell you. People come to me saying, how do I, just tell me how to do it. Just tell me how to write the book. Just tell me how. And I'm like, okay, well, first we got to work on your mindset. No, 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 no. Just, I, just tell me how. Tell me how to do this. Or they'll say, tell me how to get speaking engagements. I'm like, well, first we got to work on your mindset. No, just tell me how. I already know about my, my mind. Just tell me how. I want to know how to do this, how to make money, how to reach people, how to get it published. So many people who've never put a word on a page, they come to me obsessed about how do I get published? I'm like, you don't even have a word now. They're like, I look, but I know I can do it. I just need to know how to get published. I finally thought of the perfect analogy because I'm like, it doesn't work. It's not going to work for you to just know how it's called the how trap. To me, I'm like, you're, you're, you're getting into a how trap 
Because if you just need to know all, just tell me how to do it. I just want actions. I only want actions. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'm like, but you haven't, it's who before how. It's always who before how. You have to become the person who can carry out the actions before anybody gives you any actions. You actually have to be the person who can create the actions. If you don't, then you're becoming dependent. I don't want to create a whole bunch of people dependent on me. No way do I want to create people who are dependent on me. I'm I'm hoping and praying and expecting that you're going to write more books than just one. I'm hoping and praying and expecting that you're going to create a lot of content through speaking, through teaching, through all, through all kinds of things. Well, if you if you need me to tell you how to do it every time, then you're not going to get very far because you're going to keep on yo-yoing back to me. And I'm like, no, I am telling you how to become the person who creates things with their words. I'm telling you how to become the person who creates their own how. So it's a how trap. If you just want someone to just tell me how. It's like the easy cop out. It's like, no, you got to figure it out. And so people then say, how can I, how can I know what to do if you're not telling me what to do? Because I do give a lot of guidance inside the Keep Writing course, but sometimes people want more on top of that, or they want some guidance in areas that I haven't covered. I'm like, here's the thing. You get to figure it out. Yeah, but how can I figure it out? If I don't, you need to tell me. And I say, you really can figure it out if you have become the person who can figure things out. It's the mindset piece first. So today I thought of the analogy. So I'm going with biscuits, okay? I'm going with the, with the um, analogy of biscuit making because it's common, but not too common to where just right off the head, off, off your head, you would know exactly how to make biscuits. There are some things you know exactly how to make scrambled eggs. You know exactly how to do it. I'm saying like, let's do something a little more complex to make a really good flaky biscuit. Do you know how to make it? You know how to make it just off the top of your head? Because we've seen, we all know, at least somewhere in our lives, if not our own grandmother, maybe a grandmother of a friend who can make, whip up a batch of biscuits and doesn't even need a recipe. They're just handful of this, handful of that, pinch of this, pinch of that. They know exactly how many fingers in a pinch are just the right amount. They don't follow a recipe. How do they get to be that person? Because if you walk up and you say, tell me how to do it. I love your biscuits, the family recipe. How do you do it? And they're like, I can't tell you how. That's true, right? Haven't you met somebody that's like, I can't tell you how. Let me just interject that my sister-in-law, She's an amazing cook, not biscuits, but amazing cook. She doesn't use recipes. And if you ask her, this was amazing. How did you make this soup? She's like, I don't even know. Uh, I'm like, people who have that, I I don't know how. Like, just tell me how. Just tell me how to create this soup. Just tell me how to create this dish. She's like, I can't tell you how, because I don't know how. I just did it. So we all know cooks and bakers that can do that, that they just can grab this or that, shake, 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 and it's fine. They have no recipe and it's delicious. That's who I'm wanting you to be. But you have to get to that level. See, right now, I'm, I'm the person who is with content. I've just 
whipped up my own stuff. So I can't exactly tell you how in a lot of ways, because I whipped it up. If you want to be that person, you cultivate belief. So here's the thing. If you had to make biscuits, what would you grab first? If you had to make, if I said, I expect you to make flour, flour, flour. So I'm seeing in the comments. If you have, if I expect you to make biscuits, the, the world's best biscuits without a recipe, you instinctively know to grab flour. What's the next thing you're going to grab? Salt, butter, what else? Water. Okay. Milk, baking soda. Okay. So we have the basic ingredients for biscuits right there in the chat. Here's the deal. You have the basic ingredients for writing a book. I put them in the keep writing course. That's the basic ingredients. Now, what you get to do is create the action plan. We're going to get to that next week. And let's talk about it in relation to biscuits. What would you do? If all of you in your own kitchens alone had those ingredients, baking soda, milk, water, flour, butter, if you were like in salt, I'm just going to create biscuits. What would you do? You've got it all on the counter. All I'm serious. What is the next thing you're going to do with those ingredients? You cannot use your phone and look up a recipe. You cannot call a friend and ask a recipe. You have no access to a recipe. You only have ingredients. What would you do with those ingredients? Put first thing you would do. I just want to hear a couple of people's first thing. Cut the butter into the flour. Yeah, Christina sees the basic ingredients are in the course. Blend it and wing it. Yep, taste and see. Ooh, I like that connection to that verse, taste and see. I would start in and try something, but measure to keep track so I could change something up later. Great, Christine, great. You would grab a few things, you would wing it. As Christina said, you would wing it. But as Christine said, you would write down what you did. So maybe you'd use a cup of flour. Maybe you'd use a teaspoon of salt. Maybe you'd use, and if, and you'd write down the ingredients that in the proportions that you used, what's the next thing you'd do? You'd roll it out, cut it, put it in a pan. And guess what? You'd have to figure out the timing. What's the temperature? There's so many more things to figure out. Once you put the ingredients together, what's the temperature? What's the timing? You'd make a stab at it, write it down, pull it out, and then you would taste it. If the biscuit fell apart, if it didn't hold, it's too dry, and you'd have to figure out, what am I going to tweak? It was too dry. If the biscuit was real dense and wasn't fluffy and flaky, hmm, what am I going to change? If the biscuit was hard as a rock, hmm, what am I going to change? Everybody has a different recipe for your content, for your writing of the book. I can't give you mine because it's mine. It wouldn't work in your oven because your oven might carry temperature differently than, than my oven does. It's not going to work with your ingredients because maybe, you know, your butter is fresher than mine. I don't know. The, the, the way it all goes together, you have to create the recipe. Okay. The recipe is the how that everyone is begging me for. They're like, just tell me how, just give me the recipe. I'll make the biscuits, just give me the recipe. And I'm like, I'm trying to tell you, you have to create your own recipe. 
I give you ingredients, not recipes. You create the recipe. If you came back and you tried those biscuits and they weren't good, what would you do? You'd change, you'd tweak it and you'd make another batch. And if that batch was a little, a little better, but not quite, what would you do? You'd tweak it and you'd make another batch. And then if that wasn't quite right, what would you do? You'd tweak it and you'd make another batch. You'd tweak the temp, you'd tweak the time, you'd tweak the flour, you'd tweak, there's so many things to tweak. You could tweak how well you mix it together. Maybe a little less mixing makes it better. Maybe a little more mixing. You would tweak, you would tweak and try. You would tweak and try, tweak and try. That's what you would do. But here's the thing. Do you know what people do? They make the biscuit recipe once. And they say that wasn't any good. And then they don't ever pick up the ingredients again. And I'm saying you can create your own recipe. It's guaranteed you're going, you're going to have, does it, is there anyone here that thinks it would be impossible to have excellent biscuits if you tried enough times? Like if you tried enough times, you'd get to it. If you try, tweaked and tried enough times, you would get to it. So it's not the recipe and it's not the actions. You don't need a bunch of actions to unconfuse yourself. You don't need a bunch of actions to unoverwhelm yourself. All you need is the belief. If I try hard enough and long enough, if I try, if I keep at this, I'm gonna get there. That's what you need. The biscuit maker, the only thing the biscuit maker needs is thinking, if I do this, if I keep at it, if I tweak and try and tweak and try, I know I'm going to get you some biscuits. I know it. But the person who does not have the belief plan for knowing, I know I have what it takes. I know it. It's just these ingredients. I know I have what it takes. For the person without a belief plan, they could have a recipe and still ruin it. They'd have a recipe and burn it. They'd have a recipe and it wouldn't taste good. And they would walk away. The most important thing you need to have right now is that belief plan. It's the only thing that's going to keep you coming back to the kitchen. So when you sit down, you're like, I just didn't get that much written today. It's just bad, bad batch of biscuits. Come back. Don't walk away and say, well, just because I could not get something written today, I'm just no good at this. It's just a batch of biscuits. That's all that writing session was. Come back and change it. You do it enough times with the belief in place that you know you have what it takes and you will create the most delicious book. You will. So I want to give you some time to freestyle on your emotion. The one that you think you're going to get when you finally have your book written. Mm -mm. We need it in advance. So that accomplishment. I mean, you can ask yourself questions like, in what ways am I already ac accomplished? You're cultivating accomplishment in your life when you ask that question. In what ways am I already obedient? In what ways am I already proud of myself? One of my clients, she, she wanted to feel proud of herself at the end of her project. I said, okay, for the next 30, I mean, this was just today. 
I said, for the next 31 days, you need to just ask yourself, in what ways am I proud of myself? What am I proud of that I've created? You add, And what is it costing me not to be proud of myself yet at age 45 or whatever she is? So um, relief. In what ways do I already feel relief? How can God give me relief in advance? Excitement, satisfaction, all of that. So I'm going to give you five minutes this time to just kind of freestyle on that idea of what this is your belief plan time. Ask yourself questions about that particular thing, about your feeling, motivating emotion, I guess. So writing down what you plan to believe intentionally for 31 days will change, almost change the chemical makeup in your body. When you intentionally believe something, I mean, not waiting for circumstances to make you believe it, but intentionally believing it. I'll draw your attention to another verse from Proverbs 21. It's this one is Proverbs 21, 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, Most people in the world think that love finds them. Nobody in the world is even interested in righteousness, (laughs) but they think that love finds them. What a Christian needs to know is that, that we pursue, we're created to pursue those things. We pursue love. We pursue righteousness. God gives the increase. It is when we pursue those things, we find life prosperity. If you pursue emotions that will serve you in the kingdom, if you pursue that intentionally, the reason I say 31 days is because then you can move on to another one. I really feel like in 31 days, you will have so much um, growth. You'll be ready for the next level of emotion. You can go up 12 levels of competency, of mastery in your of authority in areas of your emotions. If you intentionally work through this from this December 1st till next December 1st, you'll be so surprised to see what you have cultivated through intentionally pursuing something and allowing God to give the increase. So that that's what I recommend is. Instead of asking how, 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 talk about who, 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 ask God, who, 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 who am I supposed to be? Not how am I supposed to do this? Stop focusing on the recipes and be willing to be the person who can try it again and again and again. It's not about a recipe. It's about being that person who comes back to the kitchen. He will bring the increase. You cultivate the belief that will get you back into the kitchen again and again and again. I hope that has blessed you today. Does anybody have um, any comments or questions? Um, You can unmute yourself if you have a comment or a question. We have about eight minutes. You don't have to have a comment or question. Um, And if there aren't, I would just say, um, when you, I, I look forward to seeing in the Facebook group examples that you find in your life. So let us know in the Facebook group what you're intentionally cultivating for the next 31 days. Let us know 
what your belief plan is. Like, tell us what you're intentionally believing. I have some clients who choose to like, they're like, I'm just going to sing a little song, like make a little song, make up my own words to Jesus loves me or make up my own words to you are my sunshine or happy birthday. And it's all around the emotion that I'm trying to cultivate so that I can just have that song in my heart. I'm just going to sing that little song in my heart when I'm driving, when I'm, I'm going to hum it when I'm brushing my teeth, but I'm thinking of the words that I've created. I don't have a song written about efficiency, but I might do that just to Mary had a little lamb or whatever. Um, I mean, you could do it as simple as like efficiency is good for me. Good for me. Good for me. Efficiency is good for me. Jesus tells me so because he said plans lead to profit and haste leads to poverty. So, I mean, it could be the simplest kind of song, but if you just that make it part of your belief plan, be like for 31 days, this is what I'm going after. I'm pursuing this. That's the secret to feeling whatever you're going after, no matter the circumstance. Okay. Thank you so much for being here. I hope this has really blessed you. And I, like I said, I can't wait to see in the Facebook group, things you're noticing out in the world, things, scriptures that the Lord brings to your mind in pursuit of these emotions that are helpful for you. And I, I bless you in the name of Jesus, that we all would continue to become the people who can carry out his will on the earth. All right. See you next time. Bye-bye. Hey there. Have you been dreaming about working with someone like me for one-on-one -on -one private coaching? Working with a private coach was one of the best decisions I ever made. Any investment you make in your mental health brings a return. And any investment you make in your divine calling brings a return too. So stop asking yourself if you're worth it. You are. And God's assignment on your life is worth it too. In fact, it honors Him when you take that step of faith toward the unknown. You don't even need to feel 100% sure of yourself or your project in order to get started. All you need is to be 10% sure of yourself and your project. It's my job as your coach to bring the other 90% of belief in you to each and every appointment. Let me carry the biggest weight as you get stronger. Your first step just needs to be scheduling a consultation call to see if we'd be a good fit to work together. I only take three consultation calls per week, so grab your appointment before my digital calendar hits the maximum and closes automatically. Just go to nikamaples.com forward slash coaching to book that call. Let's do this.